Today's episode of Ringer FC is brought to you by The Rewatchables. Hey guys, I want to tell you a little bit about The Rewatchables. It's the newest film podcast from the Ringer Podcast Network, which features Bill Simmons and a roundtable of people from the Ringer universe discussing movies they can't seem to stop watching. So if you're a sucker for cable movies, they're on constant repeat. This show's for you. This week, me and Bill broke down The Departed. We already have an episode about A Few Good Men Up. We did Heat. There's some sports movie Hall of Fame movies in the podcast feed. Just check it out. It's a really fun podcast. So is this. It's the Ringer FC time. Welcome to the second episode of Ringer FC. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com. I am joined, as always, by my box-to-box midfielder, Ryan O'Hanlon. We should tell the listeners the podcast is now called Everything is Terrible. Manchester United is going to win the league. (laughs) The cackling like a jackal you hear in the background. After returning from an extended summer vacation, he has resumed training Against his will. It's Micah Peters. Listen, I don't know what you're talking about. I've been enjoying my football. I've been <laughs> keeping in shape. You know, I'm very happy to be back. Just wait till you turn 30. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, first week of the Premier League is in the books. Uh, as we record this, Liverpool is off in Germany playing their Champions League qualifying, their, their first leg of their Champions League first round match with Hoffenheim. And we won't be talking about it. Nope. We'll hardly be talking about <laughs> Liverpool at all. Here's the rundown for today's show. We're going to do some massive overreactions to first week results. We got some questions we're going to ask Micah and Ryan here about the uh, who they felt like were the best promoted side, who was the best individual performance of the weekend, etc. We're going to be joined a little bit later by Donnie Kwok, who's going to talk to us about the two North London teams, Arsenal and Tottenham, plus a little bit of Manchester City. He has an update on David Silva's hairline. And then we'll wrap up the show talking a little bit about transfer rumors because not a lot has happened as of airtime or as of recording time, but that can always change. Uh, So, guys, let's talk a little bit about the first week of the Premier League. And I'm just going to have a couple of massive overreactions here, and you tell me whether or not I'm in the ballpark, okay? All right, all right. Chelsea is in crisis. Listen, this is... (laughs) Just a delicious game yes. at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea <laughs> this past lose weekend. down to nine men, lose three two to Burnley, the Barcelona of Burnley. I mean, Burnley won a single, lone, solitary, unaccompanied, just one away game last season, <laughs> and then come into Stamford Bridge on opening day, bang in three goals before halftime, or was it two goals? No, they were three up, three zero up. They were three three nil up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gary Cahill trying to dribble out of the back makes a really long touch and then just goes studs up. I mean, it was really clumsy and kind of unfortunate. Is this a training thing where these guys are still getting maybe into complete and total playing shape so they're a little late on their tackles, or is this just like a classic Gary Cahill is good for these one of these like a year? I I think the fact that Chelsea had two red cards um, (laughs) in the first game, I could have had like three, right? Yeah, and I think they they had a red card. They've had red cards in the two previous games too, so right. it's, it's kind of a trend. Um, Burnley, who I don't think they have one player who's not from either Ireland or the United Kingdom. Yeah, um, <laughs> Team Brexit. Well, uh, it's uh, that, maybe Brexit. that's a market inefficiency. This is Sean Dyche's version of Moneyball. 
when everybody else is looking at France, he looks at Ireland. Yeah. I think the bigger question here is, like, obviously Antonio Conte has not been the happiest camper since the end of last year, uh, that last season, when Chelsea, you know, I wouldn't say that they didn't limp to the to the final no, day, but, no. they, you know, they had that. That 11-game, I think, winning streak. Is that correct? I believe so. And then uh, held off Tottenham down the stretch. They didn't have any European football. Conte had kind of said, you know, he'd made noises about being homesick, missing his family, the pressures of the... Just kind of like not... He wasn't like, I can't wait to be here for 15 years. I'm the next Alex Ferguson. Well, we should say, at this point already, he's the third longest tenured manager of the Roman Abramovich era and he's coached <laughs> a full season plus one game. Yeah. So this Chelsea, is, yeah. I think, from Conte's standpoint, it's like, don't prepare for a long career yeah, at Chelsea. Yeah, and Conte also is coming from Serie A where there's, sometimes they'll have like three, four managers in a season on certain teams. I mean, yeah. he, his Juventus stint was relatively, you know, long compared to some managers there. But uh, I guess the question is, is Chelsea in crisis? Now, Conte made a lot of noises about wanting reinforcements on his roster. Yep. Uh, he got him. He did get them. Like maybe not exactly the guys he wanted, but he did get them. Yeah. So does he have does he have a claim, Micah? Does he have a claim to be like disappointed with how Chelsea has handled the transfer season, the transfer market? I you know, I'm kind of of the mind that, you know, like all these things have happened before and will happen again as far as this goes. I mean, like, so think Chelsea about the is beginning. Battlestar Galactica. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, because think about the beginning of the season, they weren't that great until October. And I mean, they switched like, they, to three at the back. Exactly. Yeah. They bought David Luiz and uh, Marco Alonso, switched to a 3-4-3, and then, you know, ran the league, and they were basically champions by January. Yeah. Like, so... It's kind of hard for me to actually think that these are going to be lasting problems just because, I mean, I, I, I'm definitely going to have fun with it now, you know, yeah. like while I can. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you know, I don't really think that there's, there's – I don't necessarily think that there's a larger – there's larger cause for concern. Ryan? I, I, think, I think with this game, it's just such a weird game, right? It's kind of hard to – are Chelsea going to get two red cards in a game ever? Yeah, they didn't have Hazard. Um, they didn't, you know. And Burnley scored with their first three shots after the red card. Yeah. Uh, the second goal by Stephen Ward was ridiculous. Gorgeous. And, you know, if he's scoring goals like that all the time, he's not playing for Burnley. Yeah, you know? I don't think, I think that what it is, in years past, champions have a little bit of swagger to them. Yeah. And now I think that they're, I mean, it's definitely difficult to sustain winning football in all these different competitions but part of that is the out, the the forward facing perception you put out about your team and Conte yeah. has not put out a confident projection of, of like what he thinks of his team yeah. despite getting a 60 million euro striker that was fawned over all over Europe and mm-hmm. Avaro Morata mm-hmm. he got uh, Rudiger uh, Bakayoko, he got Rudiger, you know. I mean, this is, it, he had some reinforcements at this point of the team. I think probably what he's also reacting to is, or, I mean, perhaps some of the loan deals that Chelsea have done. And you have to understand that Chelsea, while we associate them with the sort of introduction of huge, you know, petrodollars coming into, into and, and, you know, Roman Abramovich's money coming into, um, into the game, they're kind of run like a business now. 
You know, they have like this, like they buy up a lot of young talent for inex- like at, at certain prices, and mm-hmm. then they loan or sell that talent on. Yeah. And that's like a shadow business that they've got going. It's yeah. not necessarily to replenish the side. They're yeah. not, Chelsea's not, they're not doing like what Man U or Man City do. They're mm-hmm. not going to just go out and drop 120 million pounds on a position and just solve it. And that's kind of, I think that's probably Conte's issue. Because So they bring in all of these guys, but Murata is replacing Diego Costa. And then Bakayoko is replacing Matic. Matic. Yeah. And Rudiger is replacing... Which, Terry, which, I mean, you know, there you go. <laughs> that, that's, uh, but they loan out Zuma. They Zuma lo- but, was balling. They loan oh, out like. Loftus-Cheek. They, they sell Ake. So the the thing is, they now they have the Champions League. So from one perspective, they got younger, right? And mm-hmm. that's sort of a a pretty savvy Not if he doesn't play those young guys, though. Yeah. But, but you need more players in addition to the younger guys that you brought in, yeah. right? Because you're going to have more games, and... We're seeing it in the first game already. Chelsea didn't really have any injuries last year, right? And now they already have a couple, and it all kind of went to shit in the first yeah. week. Yeah. So it kind of, I think the first game, you know, they're not in crisis, but it sort of just illuminates all of the issues we kind of saw coming the, into the season. The right? complexion of it won't change until, like, I'd say, what, like mid-September when Eden Hazard's back? I mean, like, yeah. Diego Costa's gone. Like, I mean, there's not, it's not that bad yet. No, it's one game. Yeah, but one I, game. I think that we're going to move on to Manchester United and the reason why I was bringing up the outward facing projection, the, the perception of the team is that Manchester United obviously spend more money than God. Yeah. But you can feel sometimes in a Mourinho preseason, I think I mentioned this last week, mm-hmm. when he's feeling bullish about the team mm. and when he's like, I like it, I like how we look, I like, I like my depth at each position. And I feel like we're going to play, you know, after this match that they destroyed West Ham for yeah. nothing. And after the game, he was like, we are playing up to the levels of confidence that we have, was essentially his quote. Yeah. As a Manchester United fan, let's just get this out of the way. You have eh, about 30 <laughs> seconds. I'll probably cut you off in 20 <laughs> to gush. And then we'll just talk about them. I mean, like, number one. Like, of course, Jose Marino was very excited. It was visible that how excited he was. I mean, like, look at him. He shaved. He put on a suit. <laughs> yeah. He was wearing his best Hugo watch. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, you have Matage just, I mean, what, a, like, just a, being a huge controlling presence in the midfield. Uh, I mean, and on top of that, beating several people one-on-one. There was one time where, like, I can't remember who it was that was talking, but it was just... The commentator was just like, yeah, he's enjoying himself, but I thought he said he was feeling himself. I think it was that I wanted to believe that he, he said, said he was feeling, he was feeling himself because, I mean, he would, he took three players on That's instead of you know, like, playing of a simple. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, then on top of that, you had um, Pogba, again, being freed up to do the creative things that he wanted to do. You have Lukaku getting on to the end of through balls and in the – First, I can't remember when the, when exactly the first goal, but his first goal was a goal that me and Ryan were talking about this off the air is not a goal that Zlatan would have scored. Mm-hmm. And then you know, tucks in another, tucks in a second header. I mean, Pogba turns everything into like shortens the field and mm-hmm. scores from twenty yards out. Maybe uh, Hart probably should have got a hand to that. Um, and then on top of that, Mc. Mkhitaryan looks is the best number ten ever. 
I mean, like it, it was almost like mm-hmm. it was a bad life. idea to bench him for like the first three now months you're just, of last. Now season. you're actually on achievement oriented. <laughs> we've, ported, we've ported your vocals over to the video game yeah. podcast. I'm just saying, like I heard that some of y'all let in three goals, and I just wanted to know if y'all were okay. You know, we already said we're not talking about that <laughs> um, this week. I think the thing that you see, obviously, with I, I, will, I, will, I can't wait to read the oral history of how this Modic transfer happened, how Chelsea was like, this is a really good central defensive midfielder. Who could use a central defensive midfielder? Maybe Manchester United. Let's sell this guy to our ex-manager and see if he doesn't shove it down our throat later. Well, it's like, one, it's like Chelsea doesn't sell to Manchester United, right? That's like supposed to be a thing because they're direct competitors. But like when a guy like Modic moves teams like this, me, I'm kind of like, there's something like fucked up underneath the hood. Here. Yeah, there's like an something agent thing. Yeah. yeah, or like Modic just isn't what he was. Um, right. And then this first game happens, and he looked incredible. Um, and so it's just, it, it's just like a, it's really hard to wrap your head around Chelsea being like, well, we can get, we can get this whatever thirty, thirty-five million for him, but it's coming from Man U, and they essentially treated it like the money was coming from anywhere. You know what I mean? Not that it was going to boost up their one of their closest competitors i don't like it when manchester united is this well balanced uh we've had a lot of years of them having bad defending or like nobody in the midfield or maybe not having like the tip of the spear striker they are deep they're fast they're technically savvy they're strong i thought uh daily blim played well when he was out away from the box but like you know he's a little short for for playing like right up against the goal I thought Bailly looked amazing. Rashford looked like Ryan fucking Giggs. I mean, this is a one-game massive overreaction. <laughs> Martial came on for ten minutes. Yeah, Martial is apparently Solskjaer. <laughs> yeah, and it, I just don't. I just this is one of those Mourinho teams where he has perfect balance, a platonic ideal of a football starting eleven. He's got a great goalie. I, I'm, I, I, it's one game, but I am very. I this was a real statement of purpose. The thing I think we need to see so. I think probably all of us were surprised with the lineup he played and that he played Matic and Pogba sort of as the holding midfielders and then played Mkhitaryan three attacking mids yeah. in front of him. And in, in the way this game went, essentially Pogba was an attacking midfielder also, so mm-hmm. it was like four. We all expected Herrera to be like a first-choice player, I think, with Man U this and year. He's and he's more of an eight, a playmaker? Yeah, kind of like a, yeah. yeah. So we thought, I think, Matic behind... Pogba and Herrera, which then you sort of take out one but of the attacking midfielders. But they played more of a base, and one would go and one yeah, would Yeah, so it's just more attacking talent on the field, which is, you know, speaks to Mourinho maybe being open to that. And but at I, home against West Ham. But yeah, yeah, so I think the thing here is, you know, the Mourinho way is against any good team, you sort of play for a draw, right? And then you figure you're going to win every other game, and that's where you get your advantage. Yeah, There's five other good teams in the Premier League, right? So there's 10 games. And if you play for a draw in those 10 games, you're just not going to accrue enough points over the course of the season. You have to get threes. So I don't... Do we expect him to play this lineup when they play Tottenham or Man City? I I don't know if this is the same lineup, and who knows how the balance works with that. Um, But it's... Even last year, Manu wasn't necessarily trucking all of the, the worst teams, and that's what they did here. Yeah, I mean, like that's what I was gonna say. I mean, like this team is built to like bully the, I mean, like bully the lower table yeah. teams and the mid table teams, and so I, and that was where they struggled a lot last year. I mean, like it's uh, draws against uh, Stoke and 
Swansea and so on and so forth are the difference between a sixth place finish and maybe a top four finish. Like so definitely I am very high on this Manchester team and I don't want to alarm anybody. Lukaku at 24 has the same amount of goals that Dennis Bergkamp did. The best uh, quote <laughs> after the game uh, was they asked, uh, one of the guys asked uh, Lukaku, did you know that you have uh, 11 goals against West Ham? And he just goes like, yes, I I was very happy when I woke up this morning. And I, I was just <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> um, let's do a quick uh, massive reaction. Wayne Rooney is back, yes or no? Yes. Really? He looked a little svelte. Yeah, you know, playing I, for Everton, but playing sort of like a kind of like a off a number, like a kind of deeper striker, right? Yeah, I mean, like uh, it was the Sigurdsson role, <laughs> uh, the string puller. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, like he seemed happy, and I was happy for him, especially as somebody who has been bagging on him for at least two to three years. <laughs> I mean, like he's. I mean, like, he's back home, he's happy, he scored in his opening game, which means he's not going to have to weather all the questions about, you know, like, has Wayne Rooney lost it, you know? I, like, I'm happy for him. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that he's back. I you guess that him? was strong. Nope. <laughs> uh, he, here's a quiz, a quiz for you guys. Sure. Okay. History of the Premier League. Goals plus assists, stripping out goals scored on penalties, when you add those two things up, who has the most in the history of the Premier League? Uh, Henri? No. Uh, mm. It's right under your nose. I mean, is it Wayne Rooney? Yes. Is it Wayne yes. <laughs> there you go. You guys are catching on. Um, <laughs> I thought it was like Wayne I, Rooney's I, I not you were in the top say 100. Yeah, exactly. no, no, no. Yeah, so here, here's <laughs> where I say Wayne Rooney, arguably the greatest Premier League career of all time. Um Jesus but <laughs> you guys have to understand that like that probably was the hardest thing Ryan's ever, ever. had to say. Yeah, I blood is coming out of my eyes right now. Um but uh, Wayne Rooney one shot, one goal, created one chance. Um didn't really do anything else that game. So two ways to look at this. There's Rooney's going to take 38 shots this season, score 38 goals. That'd be cool. Um, or that's not going to happen, and Everton are, like, relying on a guy who, it's kind of, you know, he makes a couple passes each game that look great, but he's just not really that dangerous of a player anymore. Yeah, um, that's their problem. It's not mine anymore. That's well, <laughs> as we turn this into a Manchester United fan cast. We'll, we'll, um, we'll wrap this up here. We'll wrap this up. Um, I, I think it's... There was a lot of, I saw a lot of, or a couple of commentators being like, you know, maybe this Lukaku-Rooney uh, swap is sort of a good deal for yeah, both yeah. sides. It's not. It's Lukaku is one of the best players in the Premier League right now. Rooney scored a goal, and it's not. that's not going to keep <laughs> happening. Yeah. Okay, I mean, that's it for Massive Overreactions. Let's get on to the next segment where we ask some zonal question marks. Little flick on by the near post and bundled it on the far. Huddersfield Town's first ever. All right, guys, zonal question marks. I'm just going to ask a series of questions, try to keep the answers, you know, around a paragraph, succinct. Mm. I mean, but we could we could chat them through. Uh, starting with Micah, what was the best performance from a promoted side this weekend? I'm going to say Brighton. Ah, uh, they, the Seagulls. Yeah, they've, they've frustrated Manchester City. They did uh, not for, get worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, they frustrated Manchester City for 70 minutes. Uh, it took a while for them to crack it. I mean, of course... 
Manchester City looks phenomenal. Uh, they controlled like from very early on. Uh, Gabriel Jesus had a goal called back on a handball. Yeah, we'll get more into City when Donny joins us. Yeah, um, but I mean, like Brighton finished with twenty two percent possession. I mean, like they only lost by two goals for only having twenty percent <laughs> possession. <laughs> yeah. um, and one of the, and one of those goals was a really unfortunate own goal. Um, and I think that once they have uh, Anthony Knockert back, who was like their championship yeah. player of the season, and with a little bit more luck, they'll be just good enough to ruin a better team's day. My thing, I mean, Brighton also just great vibe. Great vibe in yeah. that stadium. Really yeah. fun. Look, cool-looking stadium. Sun hits the field. The sun causes some problems yeah. out there. Ryan, who is your best performance from a promoted side this um, weekend? There's only three options, and it definitely wasn't Newcastle. It's John Joe Shelby. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Huddersfield. Yeah, man. Um, just ran Crystal Palace off the field. Um, I think they're <clears throat> they're just a really... The way they play is really interesting. So which, tell people a little bit about David Wagner, the the manager, and a little bit about like what they're doing there. So a former U.S. national team player, didn't have that many caps, um, but is technically American. Okay. Um, sort of comes from the Klopp school of super vertical play, where you try to just get the ball forward. There's no real tiki-taka. You're just... The way to unsettle a defense is by like bombing balls, not bombing balls, not not hitting long balls, but quickly shifting the play into the final third. And that um, comes from counter-pressing? And, yeah, from yeah winning the ball and then just playing balls through the lines, basically, okay. the midfield lines and the, defense, the defensive lines. Um, last year, Huddersfield had a negative goal differential. Really? They still got <laughs> promoted. Um, and they're sort of, they're one of these teams where all of the advanced stats that we talked about last week, expected goals, the number of shots they yeah. take, suggest that they're just not that good and they're really lucky, but they play in this unique way that can kind of, the numbers don't, don't always pick up. Um, is this going to be a, ca- a case where Huddersfield might be able to put together some results, but once teams kind of have some tape on them or figure out some ways to play against them? I mean, I I have to admit, I find this the way they play to be probably a better use of of a roster made up of like maybe t- players that are of Premier League talent level yeah. than forcing Crystal Palace or a Stoke or something to try and play like pretty football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and it's also, it's not quite like a, it's not a defensive style either that you see from like the typical promoted team. Mm-hmm. You kind of play a deep, deep line and then try Capitalize to break on the counter that they yeah. just win the ball and they play it forward as fast as possible and don't, don't really worry about losing it. Um, so I think that's a rare thing from a team like this. So I'm not, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's sort of the thing. I think they're going to get results like this where they actually like beat up on a couple teams. And I think they're going to have other games where like they try to do this against Liverpool. And it's like Liverpool is Beats them nine, nothing. doing what you're <laughs> yeah. doing with all better players. And they've been doing it for longer. And they're just going to run you off the field. You, My favorite is like that run you make when it's like November, maybe. Or even maybe just like October. And, you know, like, Hull is in third. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, they're doing all the, like, interviews with the guy who just got promoted. And he's just like, look, it's too early to talk about Champions League. I'm definitely (laughs) having an interview about Champions League. And then they lose 19 matches in a row and the guy's fired by... Charlton Athletic Special. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. uh, So, Brighton and Huddersfield, Newcastle, I'll just say, uh, that was bad. That was That was bad that uh, Rafa Benitez is like, where's my money? It's bad that Newcastle owner Mike Ashley did a very long interview 
after the that was broadcast after the match where he was like, I don't really have any cash on hand. <laughs> Poor it's guy. All tied up. <laughs> In the stock of my sporting goods empire. Yeah, he's too, busy, ex- he's too busy exploiting factory workers. And he too. also d- talked about power drinking. <laughs> yeah. I, I was I mean, like very impressed. I mean, like it's you usually don't get owners like this anymore, but I'm sorry it has to happen for Newcastle fans. Uh, I think that Rafa will probably tighten them up if he doesn't quit in the next two weeks. Okay, let's move on to best individual performance of the weekend. Going to Micah. Sam Vokes. Yes! Sam Vokes, best individual performance of the, the weekend. The Boyan of Burnley. I'm just going to keep saying. <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying different things. I think Vokes. I think it's safe to say. I think it's safe to call Lukaku the Vokes of Man. <laughs> 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 Tell um, us a little bit about Sammy Vokes. I mean, uh, two really. I mean, like, okay, maybe not two. The first one was kind <laughs> of lucky. <laughs> Uh, he kind of raked it across David Luiz's back, and it kind of skirted in at the far post. They all count. Yeah, you know, check definitely should have got to that one. You yeah. Um, <laughs> you mean uh, Courtois? Courtois. <laughs> Better check. Is I'm actually- just thinking about <laughs> Arsenal so much that I that I can't wait to talk about it. Um, Courtois. Uh, anyway, I mean, and then you know, gets in behind David Luiz, heads home a second. Um, that makes that brings him to seven in his last six Premier League games. Are you serious? Yeah. Yes. Wow. Damn. Yeah, stretching back to the end of last season. I mean Rooney esque. Hey. <laughs> that was one of the things about this Burnley match. I don't know why we're talking about Burnley so much, but I will say that even when the goals they scored against nine men or ten men for a while, yeah. weren't like, oh, we we got a fast break. You know, we got a counterattack goal. They weren't scrappy was, goals. Yeah, they, they, they were pretty. Some, they had a little yeah. bit of panache to them. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sean Deitch's guys. Uh, okay, Sam Vokes is your performance of the weekend. Uh, Ryan, who? what about you? Uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain of Arsenal, um, who played as a left wing back in the first half. Back three? In the back three. Yeah, and so then, he played wing. Okay, so he Then played. played as a right fullback in the second half. Okay. Um and those are probably his third and fourth best positions. Right. He's a center mid and attacking mid. Um, I think after the Arsenal game, I think we all kind of were making fun of them for being Arsenal and just having a complete, like, it was just complete mayhem um, mm-hmm. against Leicester. They gave up three goals at home. But, you know, they they ultimately pulled it out and sort of, you know, Leicester scored basically all the chances they had, and Arsenal kind of had them pinned back for most of the game. Um, and I think Ox, you know, he's he was running past guys left and right, sort of forcing the ball into the box, um, despite playing as a fullback, had six shots, which sort of speaks to the pressure that Arsenal was able to sustain, that your fullback is getting in positions to take shots on goal. Um, and I think he's... I think his flexibility is really important to Arsenal playing that um, 3-5-2, 3-4-3, whatever it is, because there are more sort of tiers to the formation, I guess, and when you have a guy that can slide all across it, it's easier to make subs and shift the formation around, which they did. They switched to four at the back um, and sort of took over from there. Um, And, of course, you know, today there's news that Chelsea um, is interested in buying Ox, so... Sell your best player after the first game. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Alex Oxley Chamberlain is Ryan's uh, performance of the weekend. I'm gonna. Have, this isn't performance of the weekend. I'm gonna say for myself, your best heat check. 
was Christian Eriksen against uh, against Newcastle. <laughs> Tottenham's midfielder Christian Eriksen, a guy I'm very fond of, a guy who I would I'm just gonna be candid and say that I'm always interested in his. Uh, fluctuating hairline. It's very interesting. And also, isn't he like 24 but looks like he's 36? Isn't he one of those guys? Yeah, like he's a little, got like bit of a very unfortunate chia pet hair. Like kind of a Benjamin yep. Button thing going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Loves loves a long shot against all odds. Just <laughs> wonder goals only. Yeah, Christian Eriksen does not give a shit about expected goals. <laughs> Uncorked six against Newcastle. Didn't score. He assisted on two. Had a nice game. Like mm-hmm. was really good. But just is not here for Harry Kane getting off to a good start. <laughs> Anytime he got the ball, probably within 35 yards, he was doing the Aryan Robin cut in and let one go. And yeah. it was it was glorious. <laughs> but after a certain point, you could see other Spurs players be like, dude, what are you doing? I like the fact that they kept breaking up on the broadcast. They're like, Harry Kane still hasn't scored a, a Premier League goal they in August. They love doing that. They like the Harry Kane it takes a long time to wake up from his slumber <laughs> is a big deal for them. Perhaps that's Christian Harrison's fault. Yeah. You know? But I would say that, you know, I mean, he looked good, but Ryan, we talked about this last week about the sort of um increasing influence of advanced analytics and this idea that you want to take as many shots as possible pretty much as close to the goal mouth as possible. Is yeah, that fair to say? It's, it's a real groundbreaking. Whereas <laughs> Tottenham is actually goes a little bit against that for various reasons. I think that they have, you know, they, they let their guys, Pochettino lets their guys take take their, shoot their shots, right? Yeah, they, they sort of always, they're like overall when you compare the number of shots they take to the number of shots they give up, just total shots, they always look great. But when you sort of dig down into, like, shots on target, shots in the box, they're not as good because they're just... They basically just pin you back, but they don't ever... They don't often sort of play through balls and break your defensive yeah. line. They're kind of just pummeling you from outside the yeah. box. And, and then it feels like every goal they score is, like, a sports that are highly real goal. Four of Erickson's six shots against Newcastle were outside the box. Have you ever played with somebody who just likes to like let one off yes. from 28? Or how do you I feel did. about that guy? Uh, well, he he plays professionally now, so <laughs> <laughs> and I'm here with you guys. Yeah. And there's nowhere else I'd rather be. Great, way, but you know, it's um, best performance from a Premier League newcomer. We kind of chatted about this yesterday, and I I think in a weird way, and I'm really excited for this season from this guy because I think it's gonna be full of really incredible play and then also some like moments where like a teammate headbutts him because they're mad at him is Alvaro Morata. Yeah. A lot of uh, sad Instagram posts I feel like uh, Morata's headed for. He's Um, just got the thinnest thinnest skin. Fit out. Hashtag the land. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I weirdly I don't think this this game answered any questions about him because we know when he plays that he scores and he sets up goals. He played 30 minutes, scored, had an assist. Um, but Stole we, a goal, too. With his <laughs> stole a goal. Um, I guess we should take one away from him. Yeah. Um, but we we know that this guy can come on as a sub and just destroy a defense with tired legs, right? Yeah. He's done that in the past. He's, but we, we still just haven't seen him play as a full-time starting player. So I think he looked great, um, made a huge difference when he came in, but still at the same time, you didn't, Chelsea didn't buy him. I mean, maybe they did. Maybe Conte's making a point to use a guy this expensive off the bench and he's going to keep yeah, doing he's, it. He, did, he rejected that pretty strongly um, when that was brought up to him yeah, in his press conference. So, he's like, you don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, 
super impressive performance, super efficient. Um, but I think we need to see what happens when he plays 90 minutes. Micah, there are different kinds of strikers. There's the pile driver guy. There's the guy who runs in between the lines. Mm-hmm. Murata reminds me, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, but he reminds yeah. me a little bit of... I mean, Fernando Torres was 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 just like such an incredible athletic specimen. He was so fast getting I mean, like off he the, had a fifth gear. Yeah, he like, had that fifth gear. Yeah. Murata is a little bit more stylish, but I think kind of um, temperamentally so far reminds me a little bit of the way Torres would sometimes get like he would sulk a little bit. You know yeah. what I mean? And if he didn't get the ball where he wanted it, or and Murata hasn't gotten to that point yet, but there is lots of stuff about. Um, him just kind of like his head going down if he doesn't if things aren't working out for him. It, it's hard to it's hard to keep strikers happy all the time. Well, yeah, I mean like it's, it, I mean like it, he was in the Community Shield against Arsenal. I mean like he wasn't the only person to miss a penalty. Yeah, and then, I mean, but he was the one that cost uh, sixty million pounds or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Thibaut Courtois also missed his PK. And, did, I mean, and, did, and Petr Cech and, playing for Chelsea and Arsenal and, and at the Arsenal same time. At the same time. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, yeah, he wasn't the only one to miss a penalty. It's just weird that he brought up, like, they're already killing me in the press because I missed my penalty. It's yeah. just like, well, that, yeah. like, I mean, like, the game, is, yeah, the, the game is the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, I definitely would say that he's, I mean, more of a facilitative striker. Mm-hmm. Um He's not like you know, incredible, like trick bag of like flicks and and like the the header the the one he nodded on for Luis that was yeah. gorgeous. It was that was as nice of a flick on as you can get. Yeah, we needed to t- briefly talk about how amazing it is that there's a striker flicking a ball on to a center back that volleys <laughs> into the ball. Yeah. Oh, David Luis forever. This yeah. is kind of like yeah. The, 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 do you think that we're I mean, we can talk more about like this idea of like f- uh, flexible positions in football like later down the line. Mm-hmm. But that was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, that was, was really beautiful. Okay, I I have these two guys. These you know, Micah and Ryan have both played college soccer, which pretty much makes them are Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville. <laughs> yeah. And what I wanted to ask is because this comes up a lot during broadcasts of watching games, and especially when you're watching Liverpool or Arsenal is this idea of zonal marking in set pieces. And set pieces have become sort of, it's weird. It's like one of those things where it's like, do we actually have to do these? Because the football is so nice, and -hmm. then you get to the really nitty-gritty, basic, boring part, and it at least appears, I would say that the actual numbers aren't so bad on Liverpool and Arsenal's goals allowed from set pieces. It's just that they happen to come at the worst possible time. It appears like there are just teams that just don't know how to do it. Even though they are really well-paid professional soccer players, they don't know how to defend against set pieces. For the newer listener to the game or from the listener who just hears zonal marking of set piece and just goes, okay, that's like, like you know, it's, is that like, what is that? So zonal marking is essentially you kind of have a little, I guess, arc is how I would describe it around the goal which and each guy is guarding space which theoretically is a much safer way to defend because when you're marking man to man it's easy to pick another player right Um, you get in his way and then it frees the guy up and you can't predict where the guys are going right so when you're just guarding space you know this is the space i'm going to guard if a guy comes in here it's my responsibility to attack the ball and clear it so in theory sounds great right? right But I think teams that just aren't as adept at set pieces, Arsenal, Liverpool, you end up with guys like Danny Welbeck or Roberto Firmino guarding the front post. And these are like attacking players that are just not 
great in the air. So the teams they're playing against sort of target that space. And when you have like a center back sort of bear, like running full speed onto Firmino or Welbeck, <laughs> right. like they're not going to win the header. Yeah. Um, Training to defend things, to, to defend set pieces is like, you know, it's not glamorous. It's just work. Did like, you guys say it sucked yesterday? It's, it's yeah, it does. Boring. It does suck. It's so boring. Yeah. Like, but the thing is that, I mean, it's just one of those things that you have to be able to, you know. It's, it sounds like it's like basically let's jump up in the air, probably get an elbow in my jaw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then a, let's like, do it again and, and, and again. The best and again case and scenario again. is that like I head the ball six feet away and like I have to then onto, scramble. Like to onto make a sure midfielder. It, yeah. yeah. And onto a midfielder. So outside the bottom. When it comes to some team like Liverpool or Arsenal who seem very porous when it comes to set-piece defending. Why is it then that Sam Allardyce can walk into a team and seemingly within three weeks get them? Like, why? if you're Liverpool, I saw this actually brought up uh, a couple of times on the internet. Like, no joke. Why doesn't Liverpool just cut Sam Allardyce a check and have him fix their set-piece defending? I I think it's because you only have a finite amount of training time, right? Right. And so Allardyce, you know, we don't know this for sure, but presumably— Allardyce comes in, and the biggest area for him where he can make a difference with the team in their goals scored, goals conceded, is on set pieces. So he probably devotes a ton of time right when he gets there to set piece training, and that gives him a leg up on set pieces with other teams. The other, um, the, and the other thing that I've seen people talk about is this idea that um, somebody like Josie Mourinho mm-hmm. actually punishes people like Henrik Mkhitaryan for not playing defense properly and for yeah. not tracking back and for yeah. not maybe getting in the right zone or the grabbing his marker on a set piece. Yeah. Klopp and Wenger don't punish attacking players for defensive mistakes. Yeah, well... That, not, that's like a very broad stroke. and It's not even my take. It's just something I was reading about. But I do think that there is some truth that you often hear about, like you'll watch Mkhitaryan, even last year, or Ander Herrera, and you're like, oh man, this guy's like really good. Why doesn't he play him every game? Yeah. And it's like, oh, because he's pissed off that he doesn't do five or six things that we don't usually see, but he sees. Yeah. I had, like, coaches in high school and my club team coaches that would be like, all right, you could score a goal. If you get beaten around the back and you don't make the recovering run, like, you're coming off. Like, that's <laughs> that's that's yeah. just the way it works. I mean, but also I think another facet of it is is that if you have – you're asking these different players to to be able to do certain different things. You want your defenders to be able to play out of the back. You want yeah, your fullbacks yeah. to be attacking players. Right. And then you also have like small magicians in the middle of the field or whatever, and you don't have any of those really just defensive-minded players yeah. except for your two center backs, then that makes you a liability on set pieces too. Just, yeah. Where are all our Vidiches? Where's where all our Nemanja Vidiches? <laughs> well, I think what Mike is saying is right, and I think it's kind of like what you see – you saw in the NFL with the Cowboys, like all of these teams are playing these spread offenses. So they have these smaller, more more athletic players and the Cowboys start running the ball and no one can stop them. Yeah. And we thought running was inefficient or whatever, but since the Cowboys are just devoted to it and no one is has a defense prepared to stop it, it works. I think the same thing is probably happening with soccer too, where Liverpool is spending all their time on counter-pressing and getting the ball forward and players that can do that and then... S- not as much time on set pieces, and they have players that aren't as good at, at set pieces. So if you devote time to set pieces, that's where you can exploit them more in a way than you would have been able to like 10 years ago or something. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap up here, and we'll bring Donnie on, and we'll talk a little bit about Manchester City, Tottenham, and Arsenal. 
Today's episode of Ringer FC is brought to you by Achievement Oriented, our gaming podcast and part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Listen in as the Ringers Ben Lindbergh and Jason Concepcion review the latest video game releases, talk to industry insiders about creating some of the biggest titles out there, and discuss the fascinating subcultures surrounding the games themselves. Subscribe and listen to Achievement Oriented, available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Ringer FC is joined by our New York bureau chief, New York yeah. soccer correspondent Donnie Quack. Hello, uh, Donnie. What's up, man? You are you are an Arsenal fan. Boo. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we would love to hear a little bit about the state of North London football this weekend. How did you feel? How, how many gray hairs did you grow on the Friday opener against Leicester? Well, you know, it was a typical same old Arsenal type of match. Uh, fortunately, of course, Giroud came on and scored the winner, but. It was kind of, you know, a familiar experience for any Arsenal fan watching that unfold. Uh, promising start, shambolic defending, back and forth, and then, you know, Giroud came on at the end and he won. What do you think about this idea that, we were talking a little bit about this with Manchester United, with Chelsea, and this you know, perception of clubs and the way clubs kind of take on a mood you know, like they, 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 you know, and and over the last couple of years, especially, and I wouldn't necessarily blame Arsenal fan TV, but this, <laughs> no, but I would say, I would say that um, I, I think every club has like their fan TV and every and all those fan TV videos and like these YouTube channels where fans react after games outside the crowns or in their home studios or wherever t- tend to focus on the negatives un- unless there's a really positive result. Arsenal has definitely taken on like a very nervous, self-flagellating persona over the years. Would you agree with that? Totally, totally. I mean, there's like an angst around the club. It's almost become sort of cliche, I would say. And it's it's part of why I'm kind of a self-hating Arsenal fan, because it's so pervasive. Uh, and then there's also the undying optimism uh, optimists amongst the Arsenal fans that, you know, the Arsenal knows contingent and the Arsenal wanger out and all of this. It's kind of like, it gets tiresome, man. I just like to watch the match. Do you think it resets, though, now that he's re-signed a deal at the beginning of the season? Do you think it resets in terms of like, okay, Arsenal's the manager. Like, let's not do Arsenal out every week. You know, until the first loss, yeah. Yeah. Did, uh, I know you felt sort of worn out after that first game, I imagine, but did... You know, seeing that followed up by Liverpool kind of losing their shit and then Chelsea actually losing a game, did that put sort of what happened on Friday in in a better perspective for you or no? Totally, totally. I mean, getting the three points in the first game was humongous. I mean, the whole attitude of fans would be different if had they, they not come back and won. And then, obviously, as you said, seeing Liverpool drop points, seeing Chelsea lose, you know, it it does make it feel wide open after one week. So Yeah, I mean, it's just a real, like, preseason's not over yet feeling to the league right Mm. now. Donnie, it's not all bad in Arsenal. I mean, even though you guys won 4-3, it's not all bad. But it's not all bad. You guys did seem to have acquired, you seem to have acquired a new cult hero. Yes. His name, I'm going to try to pronounce it correctly, is Sayad Kolasinek. I've seen him described by Alex Oxley chamberlain I mean, I've watched him play. I agree with Chamberlain as a tank. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's been nicknamed the tank. I've heard him called the destroyer. I have a nickname. I'm about to debut it right here. The, atomic, the atomic Bosnian. 
(laughs) 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 But just a brief bio, you know, he's 24 years old. He came from Schalke on a free. In fact, Everton really wanted him and uh, we kind of swooped in. And it was really early business. It was actually last June that uh, he, he was officially signed. And he's naturally a left back. I think I read he started his career as a center back, but he basically looks like a bouncer at an Eastern <laughs> European nightclub that you couldn't get into. Uh, he's huge. He he loves to, I mean, if you watch the, the Leicester match, he had an assist on the second goal uh, right at the half. And he was, you know, he loves these forward forays and charging forward. And he's an all action type of guy and somebody that I think, you know, I watched his introductory interview uh, on Arsenal TV and he said that he thought his main strength is his mentality. And I think mentality is often something that's questioned with Arsenal. And obviously he's just settling in now, but you could see him being kind of like a galvanizing force. I mean, I'm projecting, I'm sure. Uh, many people thought Jaco would be that, but uh, I see in him like a steel and I could see him you know, chopping down Harry Kane and standing over him. And, you know, we need that. And I think He's already, if you, if you watch some of the, you know, fan reactions to the first match. I mean, he scored in the community shield as well. So he's kind of fit in very nicely. And I think people are very happy to have somebody like him in the team. Um, speaking of Tottenham, I want to talk to you a little bit about Tottenham. Speaking of North yeah. London, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about Tottenham. Uh, they have been ascendant over the last year. Uh, or two, um, but I know that you have some mixed feelings because you kind of like you kind of like what Spurs are doing <laughs> on, in some regards, right? Well, first of all, they have the best Korean player right now, there you obviously, Sonny <laughs> and Sonny. Uh, so what's up with Sonny's hand? What happened to him? Well, he's just running around with a cast too on. Many, too many fucking handshakes, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he has a specific handshake with everyone on the team and when he gets to the training ground every day he makes everyone shake his hand so he's the Cameron Payne of of Tottenham you know what's you know what's funny it's actually last night I was watching as I often do some sunny videos and there's compilations of him doing handshakes with his teammates uh, as Ryan mentioned it looks like they're a little bit annoyed to be honest (laughs) (laughs) watch watch them (laughs) oh my god but the first thing I want to say about Spurs is that after a few seasons of some really disastrous looking kits from Under Armour, they are kitted correctly by Nike. It almost pains me to say it, but fucking sharp, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, Donnie, what did you think we wanted? We didn't really get a chance to talk much about City today. What did you think? I mean, obviously a kind of grind of a game against Brighton, but, you know, they bought Kyle Walker. They, uh, Benjamin Mendy is yet to play it, but they've like really improved in their fullbacks. They have a, dazzling front line. What did you think of what you saw of them this weekend? Uh, shitty kits. Okay. I'll start with that. I'll start with that. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, it was one well, of Kind the, of a dark purple, yeah. right? Plum. Yeah. Maroon, a little plum. I think. Yeah. They can't really decide what their away kits are supposed to look like. Uh, so it's tough to say. But, I mean, the city, I watched some of that match. It was a bit of a dull match, to be honest. Uh, the main thing I noticed was David Silva, David Silva's new hair, new hairstyle, which is remarkably similar to my hairstyle, actually. <laughs> which is why, to my chagrin, I checked on Twitter to see what the reaction was, and everybody was dissing him. Yeah. I don't... It, 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 it made me question myself. A lovely, floppy little haircut. You looked eternally 24. Yeah, yeah, yeah like I mean, it was just like really messy and just kind of like looked like the... F- the, the sixth member of a five-person boy band. Like, it's... 
like the maybe the the, the road manager. Why like what? Do you, uh, does there any chatter about what the decision was, but like why he decided to shave off all of his hair? Yeah, I did my research. I didn't find that answer. I did see that as recently as June's Confederation Cup, he did have that full mane. I saw people speculating that <clears throat> he wanted to look like Pep. I saw people call him uh, Zabaleta. He looked like Zabaleta. <laughs> <laughs> now, now a hammer. And uh, the worst thing I saw was people calling him Steven Ireland, which I, I think is unfair. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Silva does have a hairline, you know, somewhat. It's, you know, creeping. But Aren't anyway, come on, everybody's hairline <laughs> is creeping. It's weird to see, you know, Silva is such a like subtle and creative player, and I I just don't associate that with bald head. Like but, I, I'm expecting the guy to put his head down and ram it into me. Right, yeah, it's supposed to be like that's a very utilitarian haircut. Look, yeah. as a guy who's losing his hair, let me just tell you something. <laughs> Hair is like money. You don't get to take it with you when you die. So, <laughs> don't worry about it, okay? Can I give one more bald shout out? Come on, man. Of course you can. Bald yeah. correspondent. Yeah, a bald correspondent here. Uh, Aaron Moy. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys already talk about Aaron Moy? You, you believe it or not, know. we did not. No. <laughs> Aaron Moy, uh, the Huddersfield Town midfielder. He's fucking 26 years old. I mean, his baldness. <laughs> <laughs> this is more research I did. You know, Iron Robin was 26 in 2010. So I Googled Iron Robin 2010. And believe it or not, Aaron Moy's baldness has accelerated faster than Iron Robin's. But does he so. look like he's a 47-year-old Dutch, like, you know, canal maintenance worker? Because that's <laughs> well, what... Yeah. I, I, I saw him being called Young Patrick Stewart. Oh so God. I think that's Yo. that's probably an Young accurate Picard. description. Young yeah, Picard. he's got he Young looks Charles like Xavier. a he's got some Bond villain vibes good. to him too. He does, but you know, in all seriousness, he's a really good player. He's uh, the number ten for Huddersfield. He was involved in everything uh, against Palace. Uh, he's twenty six. He's Australian. He was the, their player of the year uh, last season, and actually, he was on City's books. And he was on loan, I think, and he he was uh, the, the sale was permanent this summer, but. Watching him play, he's like a little bald Australian Cazorla. I mean, he's two-footed. <laughs> His crossing is immaculate. He's, if you're going to root for a player on a promoted team, root for the little bald Australian. What a comp. Bald <laughs> Australian <laughs> Cazorla. Okay, Donnie, we should wrap it up there. We're, you're going to be on every week with us. Thank you so much for calling in. Uh, and, uh, and and keep, keep, keep an eye out for any receding hairlines out there in England. <laughs> All right, thank you, guys. Bye. All right, thanks to Donnie Kwok. He'll be on pretty much every week, I imagine, uh, as our as our East Coast correspondent, our P- Petter Czech correspondent. Uh, guys, <laughs> you know, we spent a lot of time last week talking about transfer news and transfer rumors, and there actually hasn't been a ton of movement. Got a couple of holdouts, a couple of star holdouts going on right now, and, and you know, Usman Dembele and Borussia Dortmund being pretty much, uh, you know, exiled from that team yeah. while this Barcelona thing gets settled. Mm. Uh, Philippe Coutinho not playing for Liverpool today in Hoffenheim uh, has handed in a transfer request. Liverpool seems to be standing by their refusal to sell him to Barcelona. Um, a couple other things, Alexis Sanchez being kicked around, maybe to Manchester City, maybe to PSG. This is an interesting thing because what I wanted to ask about was this idea of how these the, the extension of the transfer window's being open through the first few weeks of the season is obviously like torpedoing a couple of teams here. Mm. And not even the teams you think. 
I would actually posit that this isn't that good for Barcelona. Like, Barcelona needs to get their players together, right? Yeah. Like, they need, they, need to get they are in lives. the <laughs> second leg of the Supercopas on Wednesday. Like, they have their season to get going. Like, they are coming off of a season where they, you know, like, they need to get their players in. And get it. Barcelona's system is not like, oh, yeah, I got it. Cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, long ball? Well, yeah. Right up there. They need, <laughs> if you're going to play next to Iniesta, it takes a little bit of time to figure out how. You know, if you're going to yeah. play on the left wing, with name with uh, Luis Suarez and Messi, you're gonna have to like learn what they like to do and where to drop off and where to run ahead. So I think that for all the teams involved, this is start starting to get a little bit uh, detrimental. Yeah, I mean, well, what I would say uh, for Liverpool is that like the entire shape of the season changes if Coutinho sticks around until the winter transfer window. Also, if Daniel Sturridge stays healthy. I mean, I hope that if they... I would think that if they keep him, they keep him for a year, and it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, next June, he's just on a, on a plane to Barcelona. That was what happened with Suarez. Yeah, but also, you know, Barcelona obviously has 220 million euros burning a hole in their in their mm-hmm. pocket, and they, you know, spent it on... spent 40 of it on Polino, which is... I just don't get... Uh, That's I mean, an agent thing, right? Yeah. Uh, you would have to think so. He's uh, he washed out at Tottenham and also washed out in, in Poland. Oh. Ever. Yeah, and then yeah, <laughs> you can't make it in Poland. Um, one of the things that's been interesting is how these first it will be interesting to watch is how these first couple of weeks of results changes what a Tottenham, a Chelsea, a Liverpool, or even some of the mid tier teams that aren't getting the results that they thought they were going to get. Do like whether you see someone say like, uh oh, you know, is it a hundred million for Virgil Van Dyke? Then let's just do it. You know, what's it going to take? What's it going to take to get Danny Drinkwater in at Chelsea to shore up the midfield so that Conte doesn't have to play three positions at once? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like if you're making these moves right now, you're definitely asking to get fleeced. Like, yeah, I think uh, there's probably like a maybe a small part of Conte and Klopp even that are sort of like happy with how the games went because mm-hmm. it sort of speaks to their desires to improve the team and them thinking the team isn't good enough. Um, But again, it all all still, like we haven't, we still haven't seen the second domino from Neymar drop yet, right? Uh, Neymar happened and then the big transfer after that hasn't happened and it's, that in itself is interesting and then because, like you said, the transfer window extends into the Premier League season, it screws everything up. Yeah. Also, I mean, like, you think that next is that next transfer going to be Dembele or is it going to be Coutinho? Which I you... I would say, you, you, I think you, you'll see a couple of smaller ones like Drinkwater or Ox. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know how much those have to do with that move. I think you know if I had well, to, I mean, uh, you have to wonder whether or not if Liverpool is like we'll sell Coutinho to buy five players. But they, I, 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 I kind of agree with some of the guys on the Anfield Rap podcast that Klopp would probably be like, you know what, you can go to Coutinho. Like you can go. We want all the money, and I want to buy some new players. Yeah. But I, I think that he probably is like, I put a lot into you, and you don't want to play for me, so. <laughs> Beat it. But the, the thing with Klopp is like Liverpool's approach this offseason has been to just sign like these top of the market guys. And if they don't get them, they're just not going to sign anyone. So, like, you're talking about how Barcelona is sort of in a tough position that they have all this money and everyone knows that they need to spend it. That is, I think, multiplied if Liverpool sells Coutinho because sure. then they need to. Yeah, the price for the Van Dyke goes up. That and much I, think, more. I think it would be, you know, who knows what the behind the scenes dynamics are. I think. You know, Liverpool 
has tried to buy Navi Keda. They've tried to buy Virgil van Dyke. They have a lot of money that they just haven't used. Mm -hmm. So they don't really, it's crazy to say, but they don't like need the Coutinho money. Um, sure. In a way that like, it's harder to see Dortmund, just a lesser financial team, keep turning down these progressively rising bids for this super young right. talent. And in, this, in the meantime, Kylian Mbappe is still in Monaco. Yeah. Uh, who was initially supposed to long. be not the? For long. <laughs> well, he was initially supposed to be the big transfer this summer. That yeah. was that was the 180 guy. That was mm -hmm. going to be 180 million yeah. euros. He was going to go to Real Madrid. He was going to go to Manchester City, wherever. And that was going to be the blockbuster transfer of the summer. And Neymar kind of came along and upended that. There have been rumors that Mbappe could join PSG with Neymar. There are rumors that Barcelona could look to Mbappe to replace Neymar. And there are, of course, the Real Madrid rumors. Although I struggle to understand. What, what they're going to do, do with, with him. him. Especially when you have, like, you have Lucas Vasquez and Marco Asensio. You don't need any more, like, dazzling. Like, Madrid is strong enough to win the next leg of the Supercopa and, like, the other without four games Ronaldo. that they're not going to have Ronaldo yeah. for. Yeah. Like, without, like, he's, I mean, Isco will step in. It'll be fine. Like, but what if Ronaldo goes the other way? And goes to Monaco and becomes the crown yeah, prince of Monaco. The crown prince yeah. of Monaco. That was a, a great post by Sh Shocker on on the Ringer dot com. Should check it out if you want to know about how Ronaldo's about to become prince of Monaco. Yeah, it's <laughs> well. The, the going back to the Mbappe thing. It, it's you were right. That was that was the move that was going to shake everything up. Right. The this, this world record bid for this eighteen year old, um, and then Neymar happened and. Now that this move exists in Neymar's world, and it sort of seems less important in a bizarre way. All signs were pointing to it. I mean, like he had the, you know, <laughs> give me my money blonde hair yeah, like going into the, yeah. That's true. Okay, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, we'll be back. Probably these guys will be back next week. I'm not sure if I will, but we'll be back pretty much every week to, to keep you guys up to date on the world of the Premier League, USMNT, uh, other European leagues, international football, transfer market, everything. So until then, talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.